150 grams of white chocolate Toblerone, 125 grams of butter, 150 grams of caster sugar, two eggs, one and a half teaspoons of Madagascan vanilla, you can get that posh stuff at Aldi too, 200 grams of plain flour, a pinch of salt, the rest of the rather large 360 uh, gram white Toblerone that my mum reckons you can buy at Poundland. Half the chocolate and 125 grams of butter melted together in the microwave. Large bowl. Stir in 150 grams of sugar. Crack in two eggs and your vanilla essence. And fold in that flour, 200 grams. Sprinkle in the rest of the Toblerone that you've chopped into nice little segments with your knife. And now stir the batter. Stir it well, but don't overmix it apparently. Pour it into a greased tin lined with baking paper. Bake in the oven at 170 degrees. Remove it after half an hour. Here you have Mr. Baker's white chocolate Toblerone blondie. It will take you places. It can sometimes make you friends. But overall, I wouldn't recommend it as part of a non-athletic daily diet. However, should you want a little treat for your hard efforts, make sure it's a little bit gooey when you get it out. You've got yourself a lovely cake. Sometimes we just need a nice bit of cake. And that's how preparation went the night before. Chapel fell top. continue the narrative as I record this podcast I'm currently sat just outside the French town of Lorient Lorient Laurent who knows and um, the week of Chapel Fell Top I was gradually packing my things away getting ready to go away when my neighbour Drew noticed that there was a nail in the front tyre on my van and I thought I don't really want to drive all the way to Durham with a nail in the van and I don't have time to get it quickly fixed before that weekend had a lot of things going on so with my uh, lovely connections around the South Yorkshire area and Derbyshire I was in touch with Josh Williams Josh Williams kindly got me on a place in got me a place on the Dark Peak minibus expertly driven by Will Boothman and Lisa Watson. Uh, I baked them a cake to uh, bridge these huge gaps, these huge just rivalries between Totley and uh, Dark Peak. And uh, we had a lovely trip. 
I'm on the way up to Chapel Fell Top with uh, Rob Greenwood. What, what, what are you having as your pre-race uh, fuel there, Rob? We've got some pasty in, pasties for power. Yeah, what, what are you on for? I went for cheese and onion. From the uh, West Cornwall um, <laughs> pasty company, was it? Yep, yeah, yeah, high quality purveyor, none of this Greg's nonsense. How much did that pre-race nutrition cost you, Rob? Seven, eight pounds? Substantially more than it would have cost me at Greg's. <laughs> it's probably the same. Is it of a higher quality? Well, Be careful here, we've got a lot of northern listeners. I'll tell you when a tell you at the end of the race when it's coming back out of me. And what's your strategy here? You're having the whole thing? I think um, moderation is the key. Yeah. So I'm going to have the whole thing. <laughs> now, I don't want to throw shade on the uh, Dark Peak minibus, but the ventilation wasn't fantastic. It was a very reasonably priced minibus, £5 there and back. They didn't even charge me extra being a Totley member. Um... But yeah, there wasn't a lot of ventilation. And after Rob's pasty, he kind of went green um, as we took the winding roads towards Chapel Fell. And uh, yeah, we thought he was going to be sick. So whether the cheese and onion pasty was the wisest thing pre-race, Rob actually placed 52nd and at a pretty decent run actually so yeah that's I'm just going to throw it out there but I'm not sure I uh, recently had a bike ride where I finished and had a Devonshire pasty in Devon and then I had a cheese and onion pasty too um, I'm not sure if the two pasties helped my cycle home so yeah pasties for sport remains a unanswered question on, on the back foot moving on from that we will go on to talk about the race but there was a big amount of preparation going into the race and the race day so I thought it would be nice to hear back from Fran Blackett who we had on the previous episode and how she found getting ready for the English Fell Champs to come to Chapel Fell Top Hi, currently sat in a campsite in a very soggy Eskdale. Andy's out running and I've got my two boys in the van. Chances of getting five minutes uninterrupted are slim, but I'm going to give it a go to record this review from my perspective of the week prior to and the day of Chapel Fell Top. Uh, so I'm going to start on Tuesday, which is when our weather concerns began. Uh, started getting a few messages from our car park marshals. Uh, just kind of giving me a heads up, as if I wasn't aware that uh, some rain was forecast. I was still at work at this point. I'm a primary school teacher. Uh, I work Mondays and Tuesdays. So Tuesday was my last day of term, trying to juggle uh, my class. And then messages coming through and trying to think, yeah, okay, this looks like it's going to be pretty wet. What can we do? So I'm messaging Andy, who's also at work. And we start thinking about rubber matting. Uh, for the car parking field and how much that is going to be but then that kind of brings up a whole other host of questions if we we need rubber matting that seems like it's going to be a sensible option uh, but how much do we need how much rubber matting is going to be enough 10 meters 15 meters 20 meters uh, so yeah so those are our considerations we're kind of sending messages backwards and forwards when we set up the race I was really keen to keep the keep the entry fee as low as possible normally it's just a fiver on a Tuesday night and I really wanted to kind of increase that by as little as possible um so our finances were delicately balanced because I'd settled on 10 pounds and 12 pounds um not really (laughs) thinking of kind of extra costs like rubber matting that might come in um so again, that kind of kind of influenced our decision. If we paid for 20 metres of matting and then we still couldn't use the car park, that was going to push us into a deficit and we'd be making a loss on the race. Um, if we decided on 10 metres, maybe, and that wasn't going to be enough. Uh, so yeah, so lots of kind of messages backwards and forwards, which was quite stressful given that I was still at work. Um, Andy actually had the brainwave uh, that Lakes Lose would also do rubber matting. So that So that was brilliant. That was like... A bit of a breakthrough so we added rubber matting to the lakes loons delivery which was going to come on the friday and we kind of we went for 10 meters 
Um, kind of thought the rain might clear up, <laughs> uh, which it didn't. Uh, so yeah, so that was Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday night, I got an email from Clive Thornton of uh, Esk Valley. Uh, on behalf of the FRA, he's um, working as liaison officer. Um, it was a little bit like getting the Ofsted call. Uh, so he was going to check all the paperwork, uh, check that the race was being organised in line uh, with FRA's expectations. And I'm absolutely fine with all of that. My paperwork was in line. But even so, it's a bit of like a... <gasps> oh my goodness, like, is it okay? Is it all right? So, but that was all fine. Emailed the paperwork uh, off to Clive. Um, and then it was Wednesday. At least I was no longer at work. Um, Wednesday and Thursday were actually quite quiet. I'd kind of sent the paperwork off to Clive, uh, kept checking the weather forecast. It kind of became clear uh, that it probably was going to be a wet one. Uh, so just thinking that over. On Friday, uh, we go up to St. John's Chapel have a final check at the start location, uh, the route into the finishing field, uh, take delivery of the toilets, and we set the matting out. Looks like, we kind of thought 10 metres, that probably looks like it's going to be okay, kind of gave us like a, a lead into the field. Uh, so we're feeling all right about that. Um, Saturday, kind of final weather, <laughs> weather forecast checks, and uh, yep, it's definitely going to be a wet one at this point. So then... I'm kind of considering, uh, is everything in place to, are the marshals going to be safe and are the competitors going to be safe? Uh, lots of conversations with Andy that, you know, so appreciate, such, such a support, you know, he's really knowledgeable and just kind of bouncing ideas back and forward. Like, is this okay? Kind of thinking through different eventualities. So it was an obvious decision to keep, uh, or to change the kit requirements to, to full kit, full FRA kit, uh, minus the emergency food. Um, yeah, so made that decision, sent those emails out and uh, went out for some drinks with, uh, with the school mums. Uh, <laughs> at which point, as I was out, you know, trying to relax, having a few drinks, then I get an email from the ice cream van lady. Uh, I had fully expected her to cancel, but she cancelled um, with the news that there was now a yellow weather warning. Um, so that then just raised the stress levels again. Like, did that make a difference? The fact that there was a weather warning in place. Uh, so I sent a message to Clive, uh, just kind of checking in from an FRA point of view. Um, so yeah, so I had a few messages backwards and forwards and it was all basically thinking, are the marshals going to be safe and are the competitors going to be safe? Uh, we felt confident that um, had really competent marshals on the summit and and at the gate. So my marshals that were going to be up, up higher on the hill, um, fully trusted them, had conversations with them about, you know, how they were going to make sure they were going to stay dry enough and warm enough. Um, I had a backup, backup summit marshals so that if the guys on the summit did get too cold and wet then we could send uh, a couple of other people up to replace them um so yeah with all that in place we kind of thought well uh yeah let's give it a go and uh sunday the 23rd of july rolled round chopper fell top the english champs edition and what a day without doubt the most intense day of <laughs> my life incredible but wow intense uh so yeah the day started early at uh, 8 a.m my mum arrived she took over childcare duties she was going to bring them up uh to st john's chapel later in the day uh 8 45 we arrive in st john's chapel andy and i i drop andy off at the car park field he's going to link the matting together with the bolts and i headed to the finishing field i start taping the start um when I reached the top field, I realised that it is full of sheep and cows. Um, so, yeah, that was a little interesting moment. So I ring Andy. I'm like, Andy, this field's full of cows and sheep. He's like, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm looking at them. Um, so, yeah, once I convinced Andy that the field was full of cows and sheep, uh, he came up to, you know, to check for himself. And uh, there clearly been some misunderstanding with the farmer over which, <laughs> which fields we needed um, for the running. Anyway, we rang him and God love him. What a superstar farmer. He was like, don't worry, half an hour, I'll have them out. And fair play to him. We'd rang him at nine o'clock on a 
soggy Sunday morning and he did come out within half an hour and, and get those cows and sheep on what a guy uh really good the rest of the setup went really smoothly um and gradually St John's Chapel started to fill up with runners um yeah and then the day unfolded if you were there you'll kind of yeah kind of know it just kind of all happened it couldn't have I don't think it could have gone any bit considering the weather conditions um and it's not quite how I'd envisaged it you know there was going to be a burger van in the finishing field ice cream van Pete Bland was going to be there um it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't quite like that given the rain um but brilliant all the same and you know maybe it makes it even more memorable remember that Chaffer top race in the absolute pouring rain uh, in July <laughs> Uh, yep, so incredible day. And I have to say that it would not have been possible uh, without the team of marshals. Honestly, they were just so positive, the resilience, the teamwork. They really were all just amazing. Like shifting roles around all of the time. Uh, people were doubling up their roles. They were absolutely incredible. Uh, I need to give a big shout out to the car park marshals, Mark, Eddie, Martin and Jill. They were out in the rain from 10.30am on Sunday and did an absolutely outstanding job. No vehicles were stuck and considering the weather conditions, the field was left uh, with minimal dam damage. So yeah, absolutely outstanding. I did have like horror visions of like tractors having to go in there and, and drag people out. So car parking marshals, um, absolute kudos. They were, they were brilliant. Um, and I also need to mention Catherine Bonnet. She stood at the finish line recording everyone's number as they finished. Uh, we had this as like a safety net in case a timing chip was misplaced on the way, on the way to download. Catherine stood on duty for the duration of both races and she didn't miss a single person. So incredible. Um, such a huge relief. You know, that, that moment when all the runners came down, there was a little, uh, there was a little moment right at the end of the ladies race and we were seven timing chips short and uh <laughs> yeah there was a little moment there but it turns out the timing chips were en route to to download so that was just a, a mild moment of panic um so yeah huge relief got all the runners back off the hill and then it was time for prize giving uh and then it was time to tidy up and the, and the day was done incredibly um i think by this time by this point, I was absolutely uh, running on fumes. Uh, again, Marshall's incredible job. They took apart everything in the finishing field, tidied all that up while I was down uh, in Barrington Hall. Um, by the time uh, Chairman John, our club chairman, and club member Stan were helping me mop the hall, uh, about 5pm, we're mopping the hall uh, that we used for registration. Uh, Diana, the lovely lady who'd loaned us the hall, came. Uh, we locked up and finally we were done uh, and off to the Golden Lion for a very welcome uh, gin and tonic. So yeah, a great day. I hope that's given kind of a little insight from, from my side of it. So just thanks to all the runners that came. Everyone was fantastic. Um, I've had some lovely emails. So thank you to everyone who's sent a message or an email for myself and the team of marshals just saying thank you. That that really means a lot. And uh yeah, maybe see you at a race sometime or maybe see you back at, uh, we've got a uh, quick plug, <laughs> got Cronkley Fell in September, uh, we've got Bolly Hope Cars in December and we've got Silent Night, the uh, winter nighttime uh, edition of Chapel Top, uh, the Monday before Christmas. So yeah, thanks again to everyone that came. Thanks again to my incredible marshals and uh, yeah, maybe see you out and about on the fells. Cheers. Thank you uh, for that, Fran. Really good to hear from you again. Thanks for all your hard work going into the race. Nice to hear of you all going off uh, to the pub at the end. So uh, Fran's hot tip for the race was a chap called Chris Albrough. I had the pleasure of meeting him, having a little cool down, and I thought it'd be nice to hear the experiences of a local um, who was, yeah, the hot favourite. Hiya, Charlie. Uh, Chris Albrough here. Um, good to meet you the other day and yeah I'll try and give a bit of a overview of the race from my point of view as yeah the favourite apparently according to um, the people who live in my village um, in fact I just went to the co-op and got a couple of bits um, spoke to the bloke behind the counter and he asked me we we're talking about the race and he just said to me um, did, did you win 
and not not like where did you come but did you win and I was like well no I didn't win and the look of disappointment on his face so yeah I've let him down I've let the lady who rents out the hall down and yeah probably the whole village down to be honest but um but yeah never mind they'll have to come to terms with the fact I'm not you know the quickest in England there you go heavy weight of local expectation on Chris there let's find out how he found the race yeah so from my point of view the race build-up wasn't brilliant I was training so hard to be as fit as I could for the race that I um sort of damaged my IT band so the two weeks before actually I didn't run that much sort of half the mileage and just nursed it sort of yeah nursed the injury so um on the race day um at the start it felt really quick I mean they always feel quick anyway English champs but yeah it felt quick um so I just tried to sort of hold my position um probably started I don't know somewhere 30th 40th and then normally I sort of work my way up the field a little bit um and then yeah um so yeah the climb was was fine really the injury was fine um so I can't blame that for anything um went on up um past top wall corner and then into like that boggy no man's land and then obviously couldn't really see a thing I didn't realize that there had been so many people had wrecked the race the route that actually quite a decent new line had been created which I'd never even seen before um because of my injury I didn't go up there maybe 10 days before the race um so I took my little line sort of to the left of the main column of people thinking I was being clever but actually it wasn't much better than the like the main line um maybe a little bit less boggy but yeah so then um rejoined the column of people um by the way just seeing that many people on chapel fell was incredible I mean I normally go up there maybe once a month normally this year it's been more often but um yeah there's there's yeah never seen that many people up there so anyway um got to the top I think I was in 15th at the turnaround so I had fairly good climb um then on the descent I I would like took my usual line which was slightly different to everyone else um got to that um sort of the middle can and that's when things started to go wrong a bit that there's a rock I look out for that sort of guides me around the edge of that sort of little boulder field bit and normally gives me a really nice line but I hadn't wrecked the race at full pace and I must have been past that rock before I even knew where I was um, so I went too far left ended up just falling over in a bog um, <laughs> crawling out of there um, rejoined the group um, thinking in my head I'm probably about 30th now so I was already sort of defeating myself a bit um, jogged on down and then below top wall somewhere I've got a bit of a second wind felt a bit better like maybe I might have even overtook one person but then I got a stitch which is ridiculous because I, I never get stitches in training or in races and it was just yeah just painful so after that I just sort of nursed it in really lost a few more positions um crossed the line thinking I've come about 30th and yeah fairly pleasantly surprised to have come 20th so yeah all right I was hoping I came 17th at Fairfield so I was hoping to beat that but all in all um yeah not a bad run and yeah just again just amazing to see that many people up on Chapel Fell um yeah yeah really good day yeah brilliant cheers all right bye so sounding like a pretty uh respectable run that from Chris pretty good considering he was nursing a little bit of an injury going in I think you can forgive him for having uh, high ambitions on a run where he's got a few local lines but actually probably turned out to be a very different Chapel Fell top to uh, what he's used to do there so 20th well done Chris great hearing from you who have we got next a Lancashire accent a funny man Opinions about fell running. It's Alex Fowler.
Alex Fowler, you appear to have expertly predicted the outcome of the women's race at Chapel Fell Top. Do you have any insights as to how you are such a mystic meg of fell running? Um, how do you feel about such a great prediction? And did you did you get any winnings from any of it? I guess on another note, how do you feel about your predictions of the men's race? Does this mean you're going to have to spend a bit more time uh, stalking Strava files? Um, tricky with with how some of the men share their running. Uh, are we going to see you camping out on hills, um, hiding in a thicket uh, at the top of fells, watching, seeing, waiting? so that you can sharpen your skills and, you know, predict us how the men's champs is going to turn out. Hi, Charlie. Hope you're all right. Um, yeah, thanks. I'm very, um, very happy about the successful prediction of the ladies' results. And in, in truth, uh, the actual uh, CEO of Betfred has, uh, has given me the uh, £450,000 that I was owed from that bet, seeing as I put £100,000 on it. Uh, cash, uh, which I am going to spend on a large rocking horse, because uh, that's something that I've always wanted. Um, so I'm going to probably get that this week, hopefully, at some point between uh, going to Tesco to get some sausages and some buns. And I'm also digging the drainage for my garden at the moment as well. So I've got to fit in buying my sausages and my buns and digging my drainage in between uh, that and buying my rocking horse. Um, good point on the men's. Um, I haven't really slept since um, Chapel Fell Top uh, results were published because obviously I'm deeply ashamed of myself for getting it wrong. Um, I think what you've said about camping out is a, is a great thing really. Obviously Grant Cunliffe um, lives in the same county as me but he's, he's approximately four to five minutes away. So, um, But that's no problem. I can always go and stalk him uh, by any means. Maybe just figure out where he lives, what he does for a living, uh, what his wife's perfume is that kind of thing and hopefully I can establish whether he's going to have a good shot at Sedbra. Uh, personally I don't think he will, I think it's a little bit too far for him uh, and a bit too much climbing although um, I'll eat my words if he uh, climbs like a beast. So yeah, need to uh, need to really pull my finger out after that shocker at the men's race because um, who'd have thought it that Dan would have gone AWOL um, and really destroyed my chances of getting the correct answer. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed I can uh, recover and redeem myself and best of luck to anyone else with buying a rocking horse this week. See you soon, thanks, bye. There he is, next level punditry. Uh, we really must get this man a wage if he carries on. Um, maybe we'll start some kind of crowdfunder. Let's hear about that women's race from none other than previous guest Eve Pannoni, who has now been bothering the women's podium with a fantastic third place. Eve, if you'd like to talk us through your race experience and anything else you feel relevant, then the mic is yours. Yeah, so I absolutely loved the race. Um, it was quite, it was like a short, speedy one, which I really like the kind of short, faster ones rather than the long slogs. So. For me, that kind of was an added bonus, and then I enjoyed how the weather wasn't ideal. I mean, obviously, for afterwards, I like it when it's nice and sunny, but during the race, it kind of added a bit of atmosphere, added the navigational challenge, um, which kind of added a bit of interest to the race. I'm sure Dan maybe doesn't feel the same way, but, yeah, it's really fun. Um, everyone, I felt, set off really quite fast for an English champs race. Um, I felt like I was having to work quite hard to keep up at the beginning, and then found myself in third position, I always set off too fast, so I was then just kind of running along expecting people to overtake and me to drop back down, as I have done in other races this season, but somehow managed to cling on. I was then really nervous about the navigation once we got onto the file because it was such bad visibility. Um, but it was kind of, I was able to see Nick and Philippa most of the way ahead of me, luckily just about, even if they were quite a long way in the distance, <laughs> so I was able to keep them in sight, follow them, few moments they'd disappear and just had to check that I was going in the right direction um, and then once we got to the summit that was kind of relief for me because having to worry about navigation was over and I just loved the descent I thought it was such a good descent 
I think I'm like absolutely raving about the course. I absolutely loved it. I think some people may disagree, but for me, it was just like runnable up, a little bit of navigation, and then super tusky run it, runnable all the way back down, which is kind of the race type of racing that I really like, just going as hard as possible for the full 40, 45 minutes. Um, Philip and Nick both had absolutely epic races. They completely smashed it, but it was a really fun day out. Eve, we heard a little bit about some sledging taking place on the start line of Langdale last year. I was just wondering what things are like on the front of the women's race uh, on the start line. Are things cordial? Is there a little bit of sandbagging going on? People saying, oh, uh, feeling my hammy going into this one and then uh, storming off miles ahead. Are there people giving congratulations? Is there silence between people? Not congratulations, I meant encouragement. Um, yeah, what's... What's the vibe there on the front of the uh, the start line? And you don't have to name any names, uh, dropping any uh, bad behaviour by people. Tall seems to be very polite on the women's side, I feel like. There isn't as much of the sandbagging going on that you hear about on the guys racing um, before the race on Saturday. I actually can't remember, just blanked it all out. We were all laughing at Philippa's shoe choice because we knew it was quite slippy out on the fell. Now she's, won't name the brand, but maybe didn't have quite as much grip as other people's and yet she still went and beat us all. So that just goes to show what we know. There was a lot of discussion over compass bearing because we weren't sure on the direction on the top and we all kind of made sure we were on the same page. So as long as we all were the same, it didn't matter if we got to swim or not really. And then there's just the usual pre-race nerves, comparing how nervous we all are, how bad we all feel. I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody else for standing on the start line being like, oh, it's just not going to be the day for me. And then you go off and you absolutely smash it. Um, yeah, a lot of, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. Good luck. Everyone's just very nice to each other. Love a women's start line. I mean, I love any start line, but seems to be a lot of friendliness, a lot of encouragement, a lot of saying to each other, oh, this course is really going to suit you. Um, yeah, just good vibes, really. Well, thank you for that, Eve. Um, I think you negotiated a potentially tricky question really well there and then did a wonderful job of describing yourself, sandbagging the opposition. So uh, well done again coming third. And thank you for the uh, insights you've shared. And now for the interview that you've all been wanting. We have none other than Dan Howarth, the man, the myth, the legend of Chapel Fell, being a good sport and coming on to tell us all about what happened during his race. Let's start gentle then. Where did you get the inspiration for your current headband over the fringe look? Do you have a professional stylist? Is this something that you picked up when you were running with the Great Britain mountain team last year? Um, or did it just come to you in a moment of inspiration? Chen Dobre from Poland. <laughs> accents or not um yeah we're just driving through poland in the tatra mountains um surrounded by beauty surrounded by beauty at least abby is anyway um surrounded by beauty oh dear anyway right so this might be an intermittent message because uh, we're trying to drive. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to drive. Doesn't he need to use your voice for the podcast? This is my voice. Yeah, but he's not going to want to put this bit on the podcast. He can edit it. That's a lot of editing. You're giving him more editing by saying that. He won't. He won't edit it anyway. He's lazy. Correct. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're in Poland in the Tatra Mountains. Uh, would highly recommend it for a stolen weekend in the mountains uh, yeah I mean email me for more information on routes and experiences but we did do a very dirty route yesterday Orla Perk 
which is all ladders and cables and all that. Very scary. Grade two scramble. Grade two scramble or something. No ropes. Via Ferrata basically with no ropes. Um, yeah, it was pretty scary. Not for the faint-hearted. Not for the faint-hearted. Um, yeah, about 2,000 metres of climbing and descending. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about that. Anyway, this is all a preamble to the questions you've asked. So, uh, where did I get my inspiration for my headband? To be honest, there's not really much of a story behind that. Just my hair's too long and it goes in my eyes when I run downhill. So, I put a headband on. That's it, really. Um, yeah. Do you recommend it? I'd recommend it. I'm not sure... I'd, be that much help for you, Charles, but might keep the sweat out of your eyes. Um, also, one negative of having a headband on is it, like, my hair bunches on top of my head. And uh, that bounces around a bit. But, yeah, all in all, I'd recommend it. When you decided to unceremoniously... I'll try that again. When you decided to unceremoniously drop the rest of the uh, English fell running field at the Champs on Sunday up at Chapel Fell Top and open up a 30-second lead, what was going through your mind? And also... Is it tactical to get to the top so far ahead of everyone else? Because at Button Pike, you took Finlay Wild to within, wasn't it, 20 seconds? And that was a pretty, that was a pretty steep and decent, exciting descent. So I don't remember you being miles ahead of him at the top. So if you're able to descend alongside the monarch of the Ben at great speeds, do you need to be so far ahead at the top? I think I can reword that question, Dan, but I hope you see what I'm trying to get at. Uh, yeah, you talked about whether it's a good tactic running off the front. I think, yeah, it is. <laughs> For me, it is. Because why not? Why not? If you feel like you can. Obviously, the reason why not is so you don't get lost. But I, um, someone's got to go for it, haven't they? So, yeah, no regrets. And... I can't. I don't like it when everyone's just hanging around when it's not. Like it, it keeps too many people in the race. So it spreads everyone out if you put an effort in. Um, so I'd do the same again. Hard to the top, hang on on the way down. No regrets. Just wish I'd like gone to the top. Um, yeah, that's it really. From me. <laughs> But it's a good race. And on it. It was on it. It was a good race like for other people. It was a close finish. Because I let them take over. Um Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about it. It's done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Believe me. Um yeah, I hope that's useful. Wait, just just a little more please, Dan. Can you tell us what actually happened when you got near to the top or near to the... Or, or, or Well, where did you end up, Dan? Um, what did you do up on the hill? Did you run around for one minute, two minutes, five minutes? Did you realise that you'd got completely lost? Did you sit down on a rock or something? I mean, I imagine I would have had a little moment... Uh, sitting thinking fucking hell what have we done here um yeah talk us through the uh the top of Choppelfell top please and uh where you went oh and uh also is it true that your testicles are so big that they depolarized your thumpus and sent you in the wrong direction would you ever recommend a thumpus to anybody else um and is it true that some other kind runners 
did urge you to wear it on the correct hand at the start of the race. Yeah, that's a... Oh, seatbelt lights come on. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Chapel fell, top. Uh, so, yeah, I did have a compass on my form, and apparently it was on the wrong side of my form, but it still did the job. Uh, the pro... Sorry? Did it do the job? The problem... Down that way, left, left. Careful. Um, ooh, steep hill. Careful. Um, the problem with the compass was that I set the bearing too far to the right. So I have been practicing my navigation, actually. Bit of, what do you call the map? The, like, digital, digital orienteering. I can't remember what it's called. Map, oh, map run. Done a fair bit of that. Um, so I'm actually more confident in my my navigation, despite what happened. Um, but what happened is I wrecked it the day two days before. First day it was clear, so it was easy. Second day it was claggy on the top, and I came out too far left of the top of the trig, or whatever it is. And then before the race. <laughs> So I just got on some mountain road <laughs> in our hike. Oh, it's pretty scary. Um, but then, because I went too far left the day before, I set my compass slightly to the right of it, basically overcompensated. So where did I end up? I ended up by a fence, past, I guess, past the trig point to the right. Um, what did you do at the top there? At the top... I couldn't find the checkpoint as I was just shouting. Hello? Hello? <laughs> I literally couldn't see anyone. I didn't see anyone for like 20 minutes in the middle of the race. Um, but yeah, I didn't give up straight away. But then when I worked out that they'd have... I looked at my watch, I was like, they've probably already got to the top now. Um, and then it was actually really cold, so I put my coat on. And then I thought... I'm just actually going to try and get off the hill now. I'm not even bothered about going to the top because, well, one, I don't know where it is, and two, the, I was out of the race anyway. Um, yeah, so that's that. Thank you for that, Dan. Great to get a great insight into your great mind. Next up, we have Ben Rothery, the former guest from the Fairfield Review and Chapelfell top men's race winner coming at you live from his break time so I'm assuming in the doctor's mess at Airedale General Hospital Hey up Jackley boy um, sorry it's a bit late work's been mad um, yeah you were pretty much right with the vast majority of it um, yeah so uh, I wasn't in the front group actually on the, on the, right on the start line I was in the, the second row back um, uh, but yeah, set off, and like you say, Grant set off like a absolute rocket and was miles ahead. Um, and yeah, and he was in the front, he was in front for pretty much all the way up the track, as far as I can remember. And then behind him was, I think Joe Hudson was in second for a lot of it, and Dan, and then like Dan, Billy, Grant, uh, uh, Dan, Billy, uh, Finn, and then kind of a little little bit further back was like me and kind of and then behind me sort of Tim Lamont and people like that. Um yeah, but that kinda of, kinda of carried on in that vein for a bit, uh, up the track. And then until Grant started coming back to us a bit, um which by which point Dan overtook Grant, I think, and Joe had kind of just kept in the same sort of distance. Um and then yeah, all the way up to the track. And then it kinda of hit the fell side and I, I mean Dan just disappeared. Um <laughs> but <laughs> literally. Um and so I was just sort of everyone was just sort of thinking Dan had just gone miles ahead and was just, you know, twenty, thirty seconds ahead, which he probably was, but unfortunately for him he went the wrong way. Um so two takes. Excuse me, Dr. Rothery, could you just attend this man uh, at A and E with a broken spleen? Um yeah, we just uh, need you to come off your break right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm just uh, recording a little bit for on the back foot here. I'll be with you in a moment. Um, <clears throat> I forgot to say, also in that group, uh, so it's just behind Joe with like, so in a group with 
Billy, myself, Finn, and what the other person was, um, Nick Swinburne, who eventually came uh, second overall. So he was up there as well, um, and he was climbing really well. Uh, yeah, so we got to that, uh, the, like the fell side bit, and we all sort of were going up kind of together, and then went through that boggy bit where it starts to kind of be sort of traversing sort of right woods um going through and you got to come past a couple of rocks and stuff at which point finn my like um nick nick went past bill and then finn went past bill and then i went past bill so then at this point joe was up front we thought dan was in front but he wasn't obviously so yeah um it was joe in front followed by nick followed by finn followed by me um, and it kind of just followed that. Um, me and Finn went on a slightly different line from Nick and um, Nick and uh, Joe went sort of slightly more rightwards, whereas like getting towards the summit, this is. Um, whereas me and Finn kind of went slightly more leftwards in one of the sort of like re-entrance, like where the uh, where the sort of big um, PT sort of re-entrant thing was. Um, and then we sort of came. They were on top of the 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 peaks. They were on the on the heather. And we were kind of in like the little ravine bit, um, and we sort of basically came up at the same time, same time as they did, um, but they were still a bit in front. So yeah, uh, Joe, Joe was first to the summit. We, I, th- I assumed Dan was first to the summit, but as I say, he wasn't. So, but yeah, on the actual dipper as well. So Dan, Dan inevitably, uh, Dan, um, by all accounts, didn't actually dip, but we didn't know this at the time. Um, so yeah, Joe was actually first to the summit, followed by. Nick, uh, by uh, sort of like five six seconds back, um, followed by Finn, who was again like five seconds back, and then me, who was another sort of five seconds back, or something like that. Um, so it wasn't massive. It wasn't massive distance distance between us. Um, Joe and Nick almost kind of went the opposite way. So they kind of almost came up the way we went down, and then me and Finn followed the trod and went kind of down almost the way they came up. Um, and then, yeah, basically, the whole, I sort of just was following Finn and I was kind of gaining on him enough that I was managing to kind of, I, I was almost kind of getting up to him and then was like, I know I can sort of keep up with him. So I was just sort of using him a bit to, to um, bide my time slightly. And then he took a, a very good line, like the more direct line, whereas those two, uh, Nick and Joe, went down the sort of, um, the, the, the track along the sort of, the fell wall, like the trottle on the fell wall, which is where everyone came up. Um, and yeah, luckily mine and Finn's line was more direct and a bit quicker. So we basically, because um, they were a little bit ahead, and then we basically rejoined like where the track is. Um, yeah, so where that kind of black kind of uh, shipping container thing was where the track is. We all sort of, we literally all four of us, uh, I think me and Finn were very, very slight, like, like half, a, half a yard in front of the other two. So we literally joined the track as like a group of four. Um, and very, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if you know the other two that well, but yeah, um, the Keefe and Craven lad, who's, who's um, Joe Hudson, He's like a young lad, but he's a. Uh, I think he basically he's got he's on a scholarship in America and has like a twenty eight or twenty nine ten k, so he's fucking rapid. And Nick Swinburne's, um, who's the Northumberland fellow runners guy in the purple, has uh, he's won loads of stuff and he's um, he's run for GB and stuff. So he's a really good runner as well. So you've got Finn who's <laughs> run for GB, Joe Woodson who's a twenty nine ten k, Nick Swinburne who's run for GB, and me. <laughs> So I was, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, shit. Um, so, yeah, it was literally just an all-out sprint for the finish. Um, and, yeah, there was a bit of to and fro, and I sort of tried to take the lead at one point, but they kind of came back, and then I was at the back, and I was like, oh, shit, here we go. And then where we kind of went right, rather than going back down the track where we, where the sort of, um, the first climb came up, we kind of, you have to go through the field a little bit on the right, um, we all came through there pretty much at the same time. Um, I think Joe was in the lead, followed by Nick, followed by me, followed by Finn. Um, and then Joe went very slightly further left as we came like just above from that little wall where you had to go down really steep. Joe went just slightly further left because um, he didn't really know where he was going and neither did I, neither did any of us. Um, so we all kind of just basically like made a free-for-all down that um, and I, um, but yeah, um, sorry, it was that uh, really steep, like really steep descent. 
Um, and I thought, like, this is my this is my chance to get them. Um, so yeah, I literally just like absolutely dropped the hammer and went as fast as possibly good. Um, so yeah, and then uh, managed to hit finish with me first. Obviously, uh, Nick Swinburne, who's the Northumberland uh, Northumberland forerunners in in second, Joe in third, and uh, Finn in fourth. Which yeah, I don't know. I kind of obviously don't know what happened behind in terms of why Finn came fourth and stuff, but. Um, yeah, it just it was just a, an all-out attack at the end between the four of us. It was a it was a bit nuts. Um, yeah, but I want to hear what happened uh, for forty-second place. I'm sure it was equally as interesting, if not more. Well, that's another great report um, from from Ben. There, thank you. I haven't really got a big report on <laughs> what Ben was eagerly, and, eagerly anticipating. You know, the race for forty-second. But here goes. Very pleased to finish 42nd. As we all know, uh, 42 is the meaning of life. So uh, a very significant uh, race position and points for me. The very start was a little bit difficult with a parked car in the way. Um, I then worked hard up the hill, perhaps a little bit too hard, where things on the boggy bit, that boggy bit was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. I saw a Keswick runner wandering off into the distance and reckoned it must have been Matty Atkinson. And after hearing some very good things about his navigation, thought, well, I'll uh, take a punt and follow him. I'm not sure I heard him saying afterwards he felt that he might have lost a few places with that, but I don't really know. Couldn't really see the other competitors and know who was there. I fell over in that really muddy, uh, sort of moundy bit just before the checkpoint. I was sort of crawling around, but had a very good descent after that. Felt I ran hard. Uh, felt like I was gurning for a good 10, 15 minutes down that hill and was really pleased with the race. So all that's left for me is to read out the results. Here we go. So as uh, Ben reported, the men's top three finished Ben Rothery, Nick Swinburne, Joe Hudson. The women's race finished Philippa Williams, Nicola Jackson, Eve Pannoni. The men's under 23s was won by Joe Hudson. Second was Finley Grant, who we did approach about coming on this podcast maybe catching up with him in the future and third was Ben Sharrock the women's under 23s was won by third place overall Eve Pannoni second was Alexandra Whitaker, and third was Alice Gamble the men's 40s First was Steve Hebblethwaite, who I saw after Dudden Valley, and I feel like we might need to check his passport because he doesn't look 40 years old to me. I think he's lying to say he's older to win more prizes. Uh, second was Ben Mounsey, and third was Ollie Johnson. I was up there with some of those vet 40s. Behind them, but up there. Um, women's Bet 40s, first was Victoria Wilkinson, second was Sharon Taylor, and third was Rachel Pilling. Men's Vet 50s, first was Sean Godsman, so another strong Calder Valley Vet 50. Second was Carl Gray of Calder Valley, and Third was Richard Bradbury of Matlock. Nice one, Richard. In the women's vet 50s, first was Lou Osborne. Second was Mel Price. And third was Teresa Oldroyd. In the men's 55s, first was John Hunt of Dark Peak Falloners. Second was James Barron. Third was Andrew Schofield. In the women's 55s, first was Sarah Hodgson, who I think organises the Hodgsons for us. 
Second was Deborah Gowans and third was Melanie Blackhurst. In the men's vet 60s, first was Dave Prosser, second was Paul Cornforth and third was David Griffin. In the women's vet 60s, first was Rowena Brown, second was Jane Croson and third was Nikki Butler. In the men's vet 65s, first was Stephen Moran, second was Jeff Davis and third was Dave Collins. In the women's 65s, first was Becky Waite and second was the ever-present Totley AC's Pat Goodall. First men's vet 70s was Mick Morehouse of Matlock Athletic Club. Do love saying that and have heard he is also quite the character that I should someday have on this podcast, should he let me. Second is David Gold and third is Robert Taylor. And with the women's vet 70s, Wendy Dodds was the winner and Jan Forrester of Belper Harriers was in second. So there's all your results. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for racing. And that's all we have for today on Chapel Fell Top. But wait, you say. More content, please, Mr Baker. So, some of you may remember my little outburst in the uh, Duddon Valley, what would that be, preview. And uh, time has passed, and I am now travelling on the continent in my camper van. Uh, yesterday turned out to be possibly a little bit of a stressful day. Rather than just having a huge dump of every single step of the uh, predicament I'm in, I thought I would just give you the highlights. So uh, the van has an issue. It is an issue with something called the AdBlue tank or the tank sensor. The short of it is I've been to several garages. Apparently there is a fault with the sensor. Many vans, uh, many garages have told me this, reset it and sent me off on my travels and I'm now sat in a campsite in Bayonne, broken down in Bayonne, waiting for the European AA man to come help out. Yesterday I arrived at the campsite, um, aware that the garage near here might not be able to see me until the 1st of September. And with the van thinking it's out of blue, even though it, I've filled up the tank, I would be unlikely to start my van this morning. Did the only sensible thing I could and went out for a little run. Noticed they have a, a sushi restaurant here. Thought, mm, at least I'll have somewhere to eat from here for the rest of the month. We were jogging and went past the uh, gendarmerie van and thought, oh, I could retrain as a policeman and uh, live out my days here in the southwest of France. Um, still doing a podcast, of course. Uh, Le Don Le Derrière Pied. Um, whilst I work as a uh, French detective. Um, yeah, plenty of, plenty of potential in there. I did have a lovely run, um, really nice, freshly tarmac road with some trees either side. It was just so peaceful, hardly anyone out, and did me the world of good. And I just hope I can get back on the road. So just as I was wrapping up this recording, getting it ready to send, the uh, tow man arrived and he couldn't fix the problem, so he's towed me in my uh, camper off to, well there's a lot of, there's a lot of battered sorry looking cars here, I imagine it's, uh, well it's a repair place isn't it, so the weekend I will be in a hotel and what was funny was the little tune you've just been hearing was in my head the whole time I was packing up and as I was getting bits out the back of my van he was towing me onto the uh, I didn't realise he suddenly started towing me up onto the van. Uh, so I was moving along in my camper van, unexpected, with... 
just pinging around in my head, which was fantastic. Oh, and I also managed to drive all the way to the south of France with um, tolls, avoid tolls on <laughs> my uh, Google Maps. So I'm sure I've taken a couple of uh, interesting little uh, routes, but I managed to switch it off and make it to the campsite on time yesterday. Anyway, that's probably enough. A real cliffhanger to end the episode on. If you've been affected by anything in this episode or just wanted to get in touch, please contact us on onthebackfootpod at gmail.com. That's all from me. Joining, we hope you enjoyed it. That was on the bait.